The psalmist says, uh, how good it is for me to be near God. So we just soak in your presence this morning, Lord. Thankful for the ways that you've been ministering to us, even through our singing. We just acknowledge your worthiness this morning. We're so thankful that you draw us near to yourself. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, I'm so uh, glad to have you here. For the last few weeks, we have been on a journey, uh, and I'll share a little bit more about that with you in a few minutes, just about a thing that God did at one particular point in history called the Jesus People Movement. And to tee up the talk I want us to have today, I've asked Julia to lead us in my all-time favorite Keith Green song. So I, this is not a performance. Like, so worship didn't just stop. Okay? So lend an ear. Dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky. All my hopes would come tumbling down, and I never knew just why. Until today, when you pulled away the clouds that hung like curtains on my eyes. Well, I've been blind all these wasted years, and I thought I was so wise. Then you took me by surprise Like waking up from the longest dream How real it seemed Until your love broke through I've been lost in a fantasy did me until your love broke through all my life I've been searching for that crazy missing part and with one touch you just rolled away the storm that held my heart and now I see that the answer was as easy as just asking you in And I am so sure I could never doubt your gentle touch again It's like the power of the wind Like waking up from the longest dream How are you? It until your love broke through I've been lost in a fantasy 
最白的你。Until you love rolls through. Like waking up from a long history. How real it seemed until a love broke through. I've been lost in a fantasy that blinded me until a love broke through. Until a love broke through. If you have a Bible, you could meet me in Revelation 3. All Disney movies, all Disney movies are about a central character seeking to answer life's most important questions. Who am I? And why am I here? These questions are so important to the human story that it's often hard to tell those questions apart from one another. That's how it works for Mirabelle in Disney's Encanto. Everyone in the family Madrigal has a magic power except for Mirabelle. So who is she? And why is she here if she's not like everybody else in the family? Or here's a throwback. The Lion King is a story about a character, Simba, who has a clear sense of meaning and purpose until things stop working the way they are supposed to. Simba just can't wait to be king until his father dies. Hopefully that's not a spoiler alert. <laughs> Although it might be to my son. We've not really, we skipped that part. Um, when his father dies, Simba casts off his identity and his sense of purpose, and he just goes to the jungle to eat bugs and sing Hakuna Matata, right? In the late 1960s, America's young people were wrestling with questions around meaning and purpose because things hadn't worked out like they planned. The Vietnam War, the draft that kept it going, created a crisis among teens and 20-somethings whose parents had presented to them an American dream that worked a particular way. So America's young people threw off their parents' American dream and put on bell-bottoms and fringe. And instead of fleeing to the jungle to eat bugs like Simba did, they descended in droves to San Francisco to consume LSD and marijuana at staggering rates. The summer of love 
was in full swing, the pill was offering consequence-free sex, and so hippies were, you might say, feeling the love tonight. And in the morning, and in the daytime, in risky, often public ways. The greatest generation told their kids that the American dream had worked for them as they came out of World War II. So it would certainly work for them in post-war America. Yet America's young people found their meaning and purpose. When America's young people looked at that, that American, often Christian dream, they found that it wasn't working for them. The racial tensions of the late 60s, the political turmoil, the sexual revolution, the psychedelic drug culture provided new answers to these fundamental questions. America's young people began to build their identities on pleasure and rebellion, believing they were here for little more than protest and rejection of their parents' values. Now, now if you found your way to church this morning, um, you might be wondering why exactly we are talking about history. <laughs> why exactly are we talking about the psychedelic drug culture among America's youth in the late 60s? We're talking about it, and we have been talking about it, because in that cultural moment, God's love broke through in a powerful way, and his love might be primed to do that again because our cultural moment is so very similar to what was happening in the late 60s. Historian Larry Eskridge writes that by the late summer, by the summer of 1971, a battered American public had been through the social, cultural, and political ringer. And during a series of revolutions in the space of just a few short years, there had been the civil rights revolution, the complete with racist resistance and frustration, Dark murmurings of political revolution as anarchy reigned on nation's college campuses over the Vietnam War and the draft, the advent of the pill, the sexual revolution, the spread of LSD and the psychedelic revolution, and the counterculture flower power of the hippie revolution. In the late 1960s, America had faced a series of revolutions, racial, political, sexual, chemical. And so here we are 50, 60 years later, and we find ourselves in a similar moment. The last five years have been marked by significant shifts in regard to race and politics. Gay marriage was legalized a decade ago, and now we find our, ourselves in the midst of a, a greater sexual revolution around gender. The opioid epidemic has claimed thousands of lives and seeks to claim more. Thanks, Siri. For many of us, it feels, of, of any generation, it feels like things aren't turning out the way we thought they would turn out. feels like we're finding meaning, that is, who am I, and purpose, what am I here for, in all sorts of places and causes, political, social, and otherwise. And in the late 1960s, God's love broke through and birthed a movement called the Jesus Movement. Hippies by the thousands were turning to Jesus in surprising and supernatural ways. And as they did, they found the truer identity and purpose that their souls were craving. You find yourself in church talking about hippies in the late 60s, but because we can't help but wonder if God isn't up to something in this moment. We can't help but wonder if God's love is about to break through again.
Lonnie Frisbee was born with a club foot and raised in a home destabilized by divorce. As a child, he was sexually abused by a family friend. Raised in an evangelical household, Lonnie cast off his upbringing and was one of the regular dancers on a well-known afternoon television show in Southern California called Shebang. Lonnie was a hippie engaged in drugs and sex and who knows what else until the summer of 1967 when God's love broke through. He was wandering, nude, uh, dropping acid near a waterfall in Palm Springs when he was confronted with a vision of Jesus. He says, Jesus explained to me that he was the only way to know God. I accepted him and he said, I'm going to send you to the people. Then he gave me a vision of thousands of people and they were wandering around in a maze of darkness with no direction or purpose for their lives. He showed me that there was a light on me that he was placing on my life, Lonnie said. He said, I was going to bear the word of the Lord. If you watch the, if you watch the Jesus Music documentary, which is on Amazon that kind of emerges from this time period, you'll see Lonnie Frisbee on television sharing the gospel which the Lord told him he would do while he was on acid. Sort of defies our categories, doesn't it? In April of 1967, Kent Philpot, I, the names are just, ventured into Haight-Ashbury, the neighborhood of San Francisco where the Jesus movement began. The young seminarian was shocked with what he saw. He recalled years later, my first night in the hate really shocked me. A scene I'll never forget was an old homosexual walking down Haight Street with his arm around a little boy about 11 years of age. The little kid I could see was loaded out of his mind. That night I sat next to a guy my age who was a dope dealer. He told me his life was ruined and that he was trapped in the dope scene. When he drove home that night, straight-laced, he was going to a Baptist seminary, this kid wandering around late at night in the Haight-Ashbury, said, I realized that God was calling me to go back. And so he kept going back night after night after night after night. And one of those nights, uh, he met a young man named David Hoyt. David was also the product of a broken home. Are you noticing a theme? Uh, and he did time for smuggling marijuana from Mexico. After a bad batch of heroin nearly took his life, he adopted a fierce regiment of self-improvement. And he immersed himself in the writings of Eastern yogis and Zen Buddhism while experimenting with LSD. I don't understand how fierce regimen of like self and health interacts with LSD. I just report the history, my friends. Um, so Philpot and Hoyt, seminarian, LSD, Zen yogi guy, uh, strike up a friendship. They start reading the Bible together. Uh, and Hoyt was going to like Krishna temples and all of this weird stuff. And one night, uh, the room in his house caught fire. Uh, and he woke up, everything's on fire, and he could only grab one thing that wasn't being consumed uh, by the flames, and it was a copy of the Bible. Um, and so by the time the fire department arrived to put out the fire in the house, they found Hoyt like on his knees, like begging Jesus to come into his life. And the next day, he wrote on the walls of the Krishna temple that he was going to. This is what he wrote. I have, in all caps, in paint, he wrote, I have found the true and living God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Help me to follow you every day. I want you to listen to uh, my, my friend Mike. Uh, he's a pastor in the Vineyard Movement in San Francisco who 
came to faith in the Jesus movement, and I wanted you to hear a little bit of, of his story. So take a look at this. is there is a God, which most everybody believed in some sense, um, but this idea that there was a God who wanted relationship with you, but because of the problem of sin, which is the way we talked about it in Young Life, mm -hmm. we didn't have a relationship with God. So Jesus came, died on the cross, and was resurrected so we could have a relationship with God. And that it's hard to imagine today because that is so in the fabric of evangelicalism. It is hard to imagine people that that's not on their radar. It is hard to imagine that not only in the Catholic Church, but within Presbyterian churches and Lutheran churches and almost every mainline church, there is no idea that God wants a personal relationship with you recorded. But, you know, I was living the basic Bay Area life, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, I had a girlfriend, she got pregnant, we chose to have an abortion, and in the midst of that, I just had a crisis, an emotional crisis, of, and not at a conscious level, but I would find myself, and I'm not an especially emotional person, but I would find myself just crying for no reason, you know, and I couldn't figure it out, um, I'd moved out of the house, I had a lot of rebellion with my parents, um, and so it was just like, what is going on with me? I went on a retreat short time after this to uh, my mom did the good Catholic mom guilt thing and said, hey, there's a father-son retreat going on at the San Fra uh, Franciscan retreat house. You and your brother and your dad should go. She paid for it, so I went. We get there, it's a silent retreat. So we're not even gonna get to talk to my dad. It's for, what, I'm like, what am I here for? It's a silent retreat. I didn't bring anything to read, so the only book I could buy out of their bookstore was a New Testament. Mm -hmm. And I remember Ashlock saying, my young life leader saying, you know, if you're going to read the Bible, don't start with Gen don't start at the beginning. It's not that kind of book. Read one of the Gospels. And the only Gospel I could remember him talking about was the Gospel of John because he had quoted John 3:16, which was the verse for the Jesus movement, right? Mm -hmm. And so I remembered that. So I just started reading the Gospel of John. And I was in college at this point, and I was a philosophy, I, I was pre-law, so I was taking philosophy classes. And I just began to realize that Jesus talked about himself as though he was all the things that I believed in, like he was life, he was love, he was truth. And the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me to say, the longing of your heart has always been for Jesus. And Saturday night, God deals with me all during the day. I decide to go out and watch the sunset, and I walk this, this garden that has the Stations of the Cross, and the Holy Spirit just tells me, 
if you ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive you. And I, so I remembered this young, the young life prayer, you know, Lord, I give you my life. I confess my sin. Jesus come into my heart. And it was like just radical change. And God gave me this. In the midst of depravity and despair, in the midst of the meaningless and purposelessness of the late 60s, God's love broke through to a generation that pretty much everybody had given up on. Mike said, one verse became the hallmark of the Jesus movement. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The Jesus people who encounter Jesus miraculously and surprisingly while in deep brokenness, they were shocked to find that the love of God was offered to them freely in Jesus. Hear me. They were stunned to find that they were part of the everyone. That everyone really meant everyone. It wasn't just for straight-laced, suit-wearing, hymn-singing, frozen-chosen in their mom's Presbyterian church. It was for them. The love of God, the affection of the Father, the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit was for them. And the Jesus people received God's love, and it changed the world. Whatever, the, whatever Jesus said, the Jesus people did. If you remember nothing from this three weeks we spend together, just remember this. Whatever the, Jesus people, whatever the Jesus people perceived Jesus to be saying is exactly what they did. And they did that because they had experienced the love of Jesus and desired to love him back. So they saw Jesus teaching on prayer and they prayed. They saw Jesus saying, go tell people that I love them. So they would awkwardly, obnoxiously, go tell people that they were loved by Jesus. When they prayed, they believed that God was listening. And even more, they believed that God had something to say back to them. And here's what the Jesus people did that were radical. When they heard the voice of God speaking to them, they spoke back, but they actually sung back. They started writing music. They started writing music. The lives of prayer and extended into praise. I mean, if you want to know, some of you, what just happened a little while ago was really weird. We all sang at a wall. There seemed to be a lot of energy and exuberance there. People raising their hands, they're closing their eyes. If you want to know why that happens, it's because of the Jesus people. When we sing with passion and expression and desire, it's because of the Jesus people. These Jesus people, these hippies, uh, one of the hallmarks of like the counterculture movement in the late 60s from which the Jesus people emerged was the music. The Beatles, Janis Joplin, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger. I mean, these were the priests and prophets of the hippie movement. So when the hippies came to Jesus, they were already playing rock and roll music. So they just started dropping Jesus words into the songs. Go listen to a, like a Larry Norman album. By the way, Larry Norman was messed up. But um, they wrote 
rock songs about Jesus. They wrote protest songs about Jesus. They wrote, listen, long before like deconstructing millennials were dropping sick burns on the church on Twitter, there was Keith Green. I was listening this morning to Keith Green's song, Asleep in the Light. And he said like, the church is like, like the world is dying in darkness. Uh, hand me my phone. Hang on. He says this. this is, I mean, it's... This could have been a whole sermon, but we're starting a new series next week, and we've got the plan. He says this. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. Um, how can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you can't even get out of bed. Sorry to those of you who are just tuning in online. <laughs> they wrote protest songs they wrote prophetic songs they wrote worship songs we'll sing one at the end and they sang them with passion they sang them with energy and they sang them with zeal and they sang them with eyes closed and hands raised and they did all of this because they loved Jesus and the church was not ready I'll say this again I stole this from a tweet I saw from Upper Room the church was not ready because passion always looks like performance to the lukewarm Passion always looks like performance to the lukewarm. So the church just thought they were making it up. The church just thought they were crazy. See, the Jesus movement, listen to this. This is where we're going to land. The Jesus movement was a move of the Holy Spirit to go after a generation the church wasn't reaching. That was part of it, and it forever changed the church. But let's not forget that the Jesus movement was also a move of the Holy Spirit to call lukewarm, indifferent church people to repentance. This is where we get to Revelation 3. Opening parts of the book of Revelation, just like to remind you, it is not the book of Revelations. It is the book of Revelation, singular word. Now you look smart in front of your friends. And uh, opening parts of the book are these letters that Jesus is writing to seven different churches. In chapter 3, we're looking at the letter to a church in a city called Laodicea. And he says this in verse 14. Um, this is Jesus speaking. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Verse 15, I know all the things you do, he says, and you are neither hot nor cold. You might not experience that lukewarm feeling when you get into the baptismal later, those of you getting baptized. But um, uh, uh, he says, I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one of the other. Verse 16, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says to this church that is marked with indifference that you are neither hot nor cold. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What is the source of their indifference? Verse 17, he says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. If you came to Jesus in the 60s or the 70s, if you were part of a church in the 60s or the 70s, you came to faith in the golden age of Christianity in America. I mean, you could put a cross on a McDonald's and it would be full for an hour on Sunday. Except it was closed, right? Because America was still so Christianized. I want to be gentle with this. 
but it was never so easy as to be a Christian as it was in the 1960s because to be a Christian was to be an American and to be an American was to be a Christian. Sanctuaries were full. Offering plates were overflowing, which is why so many churches in our community, do you ever notice like how big, how many church buildings we have here in our area? Do you ever notice how big they are? It's because in the 1960s, we couldn't keep up. So we had to keep adding sanctuaries and adding education rooms. And then obviously our economy changed and people started moving away. And then the spiritual landscape of our, of our nation changed. And so to be an American wasn't necessarily to be a Christian anymore. And so now you drive around our community and you see, why are all, the, all these empty buildings? Well, it's because back in the 60s and the 70s, churches had money and they spent it on making bigger buildings to get more people in them because they could just do it. I mean, I want to be really gentle here, but I want to say you barely had to try. It may not have felt that way, but, but it, the culture has shifted so radically from the 1960s to now. We're so in the minority position in our culture now. It's just so different. I'm not saying it wasn't hard work, but I'm saying you kind of just opened the doors and people came, right? You didn't have to live like a missionary. But Jesus says, you said, he, he says, let me locate your indifference for you, church and lady. See, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. There's a million kids in our kids wing. Our building is really nice. America's Christians were comfortable. The church was never so wealthy and never so comfortable in the 60s and 70s. They said with the church in Laodicea, I am rich. I have everything I want. I have everything I need. And this is what Jesus says. You don't realize, verse 17, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow, that's a list. You are wretched and miserable. And he's like, you know, while I'm here, like poor and blind. And I mean, he just keeps knocking you down, poor and blind and naked. Jesus says that their wealth, the church in Laodicea, has misled them. They aren't as well off as they thought. In fact, they were in great spiritual peril. In their comfort, because they had begun to chase after what the world values, which is facilities and finances and they did that to pursuing the to the detriment of what the lord really values which is relationship with him jesus says they need a different kind of gold gold purified by fire he says their worldliness has blinded them and in verse 19 he says so be diligent and turn from your indifference be diligent, Jesus says, and turn from your indifference. The Jesus movement was a radical movement of the Holy Spirit to go after a generation that the church wasn't reaching, a generation that the church wrote off. Why? At, they, the church wrote them off, catch this, as wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And the Lord said, you, by the way, in your suits and in your comfort are also wretched, miserable, poor and blind and naked. It was a radical movement of the Holy Spirit to reveal indifference in the church and to call them to repentance. The Jesus people played their music with their guitars and their drums and the choruses. The church scoffed and kicked them out with their bare feet. And as the Jesus people raised their hands and sang and wept in the presence of God because the good news was actually deeply good news to them, the church wrote it off as performance. Why? Because to the lukewarm, passion will always be perceived as performance. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus offers lukewarm Christians an invitation. He says in verse 20, look, 
I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That verse, listen to me. Wake up. Hello. Hi. You're in church. Listen to me. You get to listen to me now. This is what's happening. That verse is not written for the front of a tract aimed at non-Christians. That's where I've seen this verse. On the front of a tract aimed at non-Christians. This is for you, people of Jesus. It's a verse aimed at lukewarm, indifferent Christians. The answer to a lukewarm, on and off again spiritual life is time spent in the presence of your friend Jesus. The answer to a lukewarm, on-again, off-again relationship with Jesus is sitting in the presence of Jesus. It's loving Jesus. It's having fellowship with him. Keith Green, in his song, what did he say? Like waking up from the longest dream. How real it seemed until your love broke through. I've been lost in a fantasy that blinded me until your love broke through. He sings, all my life, I've been searching for that crazy missing part. This guy knows how to write a song. And with one touch, you just rolled away the, the stone that held my heart. And now I see that the answer was as easy as just asking you in. And I'm so sure I could never doubt your gentle touch again. It's like the power of the wind. He says, I, now I see the answer was as easy as just asking you in. Listen. I have two people on my mind this morning. The first is the non-Christian in the room. Like you've rejected faith because there's like these contradictions in the Bible and Christians are really too political and if they really cared about our community, wouldn't they live in such and such a way? And So what you've done is just gone and found your meaning and purpose in the cause of the day and as far as I can tell that sounds exhausting because you will never be enlightened enough and progressive enough there will always be a new group of people and a new kind of person and a new way to apologize you're just the goalpost is endlessly moving Jesus is moving toward you in love today because he wants to, you to see, he wants you to see that you are the person he has in mind when he says, everyone who believes in me will be saved. And you know what's radical? In the very next verse in John three seventeen, he says, for the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. Jesus does not move toward you in condemnation. We think like when Jesus moves towards us, he like gets out his phone and he's like, you know, I've got this thing on my notes app. It's all the ways you've screwed up. Let's just talk through that for a minute. <laughs> it's not, he, he moves towards us in love, not in condemnation. In fact, Jesus takes upon himself on the cross the condemnation that we deserve so that all there is for us is affection. There's accountability. See, that's the part. We all like Jesus' love. And then he's like, but let's talk about your really toxic personality traits. <laughs> um, ain't no Enneagram going to fix that, my friend. You just got to work that out with the Lord. Let's, 
Let's get you into a wellspring session. You know what I mean? Let's just get that done. Um, Jesus is moving toward you today. He's inviting you to believe in him. And it's so interesting because the word believe in our culture has come to mean this cognitive thing, and it's not. I don't need you to believe the facts. Belief is a relational term before it's ever factual. And, and Keith is right. The answer is as easy as just asking Jesus in. See, throughout like the last 60 years, we've written little prayers and little formulas and these kinds of things. It doesn't seem like Jesus like said to Nicodemus in John 3, he was like, I'm ready to believe in you. He says, look, okay, here's the sinner's prayer. Jesus is just looking for people that invite him in. So the first person I have on my heart today is the non-Christian in the room that you are hurt and frustrated and annoyed by Christians. And can be honest, can I be honest? I am hurt and frustrated and annoyed by Christians. And not just because I'm like work for them all the time. <laughs> you know, I love you. Um, but the second group of people in my, in my heart, and it's probably the larger group in the sound of my voice right now, it is lukewarm on again, off again Christians. And we get on again, off again, like the relationship with Jesus gets just complicated through doubt and deconstruction and wounds and harm. Like you're good with Jesus, but there's all of these people in between you and him, and they're really ugly. If I could just find a way to work around that. And what Jesus is doing this morning, if you are in the lukewarm category, Jesus is knocking at your door to invite you to a place of passion. Jesus is knocking at your door to invite you to a place of passion. And he does it so stinking gently, doesn't he? He just says, look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you would open the door to me, not move, because I'm gonna about to like no-knock warrant my way in. He's just like, I'm gonna stand here and knock. If you let me in, I thought it would be cool if we had dinner together. I thought it would be great if we spent time together. I thought it would be great if you got to know my heart for you. I thought it would be great if we could spend time together. Jesus is knocking on your door today to bring you to a place of passion. And the answer is as easy as just letting him in. So I want to pray for you. And then we're going to have communion together. In other words, we're going to just let Jesus in the room to have a meal with us and let him take it from there, okay? So Father, I pray for um, the, the, those in the sound of my voice who um, are just kind of done. Um, Lord, um, for those that are like hurt and skeptical, for those that are just walking in unbelief today, um, Lord, would you just come alongside them by your grace so that it would be easy to let you in and, and and especially lord for those that are just feeling lukewarm today first of all just a quick thing lord would you protect these friends of mine my, my dear brothers and sisters the ones that are just hyper conscious and are under some measure of spiritual attack right now because like i'm evoking their shame like that's not the voice of jesus like two or three of you are freaking out about how lukewarm you are and that's not the core of that um but for those of us in the room that are in this on-again, off-again place, Jesus, I just pray that right now your spirit would move toward them in such gentleness. Mm -hmm. 
such kindness. But Lord, they would just hear that knocking on the door of their life. Amen. Um, there's this passage in the book of Luke that says they knew him in the breaking of the bread. And I'm wondering maybe this morning if it just feels really kind of like hard to wrap your mind around all of who Jesus is. Like in this season. And so the reason that we come to this table every week is we believe that we know Jesus in the breaking of the bread. We know him there. And so um, I want to invite you to the table of Jesus who just longs to be with you. The way we receive communion at Regen is really simple. I just invite you to move toward the center and come down. Someone will rip off a piece of bread because grace is given to you. It is not plucked. It is given. It's a gift. You'll take that and dip it in the cup, dip it in the juice like a nacho and taste and see that the Lord is good. At Regen, our table is open to anyone who would come. Our table is open to anyone who would come. I just need um, five people to help me serve today. feel like God is stirring something in you today and you'd like to be prayed for, um, our prayer team will be at the back to pray for you. Um, so Father, pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, we pray, that in eating and drinking of them, we would have an encounter with Jesus, the one who loves us and is for us. We praise this, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The table is open.